0: This is actually Lesson 3. I'm going to have to talk to my typist. Of course, I am my own typist, and it doesn't work very well. Uh, everybody looked at needed. No, don't blame it on her, all right? No one types my sermons but me. Um, so, 1 Timothy, actually Lesson 3. And can you believe it? We're the third lesson and we're already on the third verse. We are moving at breakneck speed here. Um, And we will probably cover several verses uh, tonight. But we got the introduction to the book in verses 1 and 2. Paul was writing to Timothy. Paul was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was serving by the commandment of God his life was living obedience to what God had called him to do. And in verse 3, it says, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Now, Paul said, listen, Timothy, I ask you to stay in Macedonia, I mean in Ephesus while I went to Macedonia. And... It's hard to believe uh, Peter has worked out a deal, and I've, I've gotten a whole new library on this, and I'm trying to learn how to use it. Of course, Peter knows how to get deals on books. And so, as I was reading some of these new commentaries and things that I've not had access to before, it's amazing how complicated people make something simple. Let's turn to Acts chapter 20, if you would. Acts chapter 20. Paul here says, I told you to ask you to stay in Ephesus while I went into Macedonia. And boy, the, the questions, and they said, wow, there's no record of this and we don't know what happened. But here we take the story of Paul's time in Ephesus is in chapter 19. Verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was a Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. So Paul came to Ephesus. He spent about two years teaching in Ephesus. Ephesus became a center for the gospel to go out. In fact, Paul's third missionary journey was almost all in Ephesus. Now, Philip, If you're going to be a distraction, you're going to have to come up here. Keep your tie out of your mouth, All right. Now, uh, verse 10 tells us, This continued by the space of two years, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so the word of God continued. And finally, in chapter 19, uh, the uh, anti-censorship crowd, this is where they accuse us as Christians as wanting to burn books. As it comes from the book, uh, the, this chapter in Ephesus, people brought out their books on witchcraft and on curious arts, it tells us. And uh, what these things are is books of demon worship, books that tell us histories of, of evil things. And, of course, if we had uh, the National Pornographic, I mean Geographic crowd out, uh, they would love this stuff and uh, uh, talk about preserving natural cultures and, and, and uh, ancient rituals. And, of course, every ritual they want to preserve has something to do with uh, voodoo and witchcraft and worshiping demons and all of that Uh, Don't be sucked in by the fact that these people are good, righteous people wanting to do good things. No, they're anti-God, anti-righteousness, anti-truth, anti-anything that has to do with goodness. uh, Because what they want to preserve is evil. I'll tell you what, you don't need to know how to dig up a dead body and make it walk around. But those are the kinds of things that the National Geographic Society is seeking to Preserve, And they talk about indigenous cultures. How many of you have ever studied anthropology and indigenous cultures? Uh, don't spend a lot of time doing it. I, I trust you. It is a sordid history. It is, it is a history of degenerate people doing degenerate things. We don't want to preserve that. What's one of the first things that the tribal cultures did when they were influenced by the missionaries? They put clothes on. Is that a bad thing? May I challenge you? Uh, No, actually, that is a good thing. Uh, We're not trying to destroy culture. We're trying to help people. Amen? Uh, By the way, what's going on today in America is people are wearing less and less. We're becoming more and more like the tribal people. Uh, It's... Uh, there's a cycle there, let me tell you. Uh, drug use, immorality, uh, all of these things are the signs of a degenerate society. You go down to the uh, to the uh, foot of Machu Picchu in Peru and all of those things, and what do you find? You find a drug-saturated society of immoral people that have absolutely no character at all. But let me challenge you that if we got together the best architects and engineers available today, it would be almost impossible for us to rebuild Machu Picchu the way that it was in ancient splendor. But the descendants of these very people are some of the most degenerate people groups on the face of the earth. In fact, uh, their chief pastime is... Producing a homemade hooch that keeps you inebriated about 90% of the time. Uh, I mean, you have entire tribes living the life of what we would call a homeless person. And uh, this is not... Their great-great-great-great-grandfathers are the people who built these incredible civilizations. It's not getting better, my friend. It's getting worse. Let's not preserve degeneracy. Amen? Let's preserve truth let's let's move in the right direction and so uh, I don't know where that came from it's not in the notes but uh, we'll we'll get it in there anyway amen oh I know where it came from now curious arts they burned all these books in Ephesus it says 50,000 shekels or 50,000 pieces of silver now imagine 50,000, I mean we were talking about 1,100 shekels in our uh, Sunday school lesson this morning that uh, Micah stole from his mother and, and we're not going to go back and, re- and redo the Sunday school lesson this morning, but this is 50,000 pieces of silver. This is a fortune I mean, this is bailout money, is what this is. If you want to put it in modern, this is the way Obama spends money. Only they weren't spending it, they were destroying it. Now, the world always gets nervous when you start destroying, quote-unquote, valuable things. But what did those valuable things produce? They gave knowledge of evil. And the people who had used to use these things and be involved in these things had now given up their service to the devil and that were now serving the Lord. That's when things started getting really bad at Ephesus. But let's read on here. After these things, verse 21 Where ended, Paul proposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So he had been there for over two years. There had been some great things accomplished. Paul took this time. He said, I'm going to go into Macedonia. Then I'm going to go down into Achaia or Greece proper. And once I visited the churches that we started on the last missionary journey, journey number two, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. And then I'm going to go see Rome. But as soon as he had sent Timothy and Erastus over to Macedonia... Then we have the uproar at Ephesus, the plotters, the planners, the silversmith who made um, uh, statues of the goddess of Diana, which, by the way, was one of the most perverse, immoral things that you can absolutely not want to even imagine. It was awful stuff. They set the entire city on an uproar, tried to capture Paul and destroy him. And and what we're doing is we're given the history. While all this riot and everything's going on in Ephesus, Timothy is in Macedonia traveling around. And we come here to chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia... Now, where was Timothy? He had sent him ahead to Macedonia. Apparently, Timmy, Timothy, Timmy, excuse me, Timothy had come back after all the trouble in Ephesus. Paul said, "I want you to stay in Ephesus. Now I'm going to go into Macedonia." It's it's not a complicated thing. We want to set the history because the church at Ephesus had to be in question about many things. The city of Ephesus was not a little town of 20 people. There was well over 100,000 people living in the city of Ephesus at this time. Could you imagine 40 or 50,000 people in a riot, screaming and hollering in the streets, and the whole city files into the amphitheater... And they're looking for blood. And they wanted Paul, and they, they didn't want to ask him questions or examine him. They wanted to murder him in cold blood in the streets. And who was one of the instigators of this? Well, it was the Jewish people who lived there in the city of Ephesus that hated the truth of the gospel. The other part of it was Demetri and, and the silversmiths. Another group there was the other cults and things. They were all getting together, working together, trying to destroy Christianity. How would you like to be a member of the church of Ephesus right now? That would be a scary place to go to church, wouldn't it? Brother Clayton told me the story of a church that he uh, visited just recently in Jordan. In Jordan, it's against the law. ...for you to be a Muslim and convert and become a Christian. Uh, the penalty is death. And he said they were meeting in a church that was full of converted Muslims. He said the cab driver wouldn't even take him to the church. He said he dropped them off on the corner. He said, this far as I go. And he took off. And he said, I had to walk down this dark alley and try to find the church... And he said, uh, I finally found it and got in there. He said, but when those people came in there, he said, they could have opened the door and killed every one of us. And he said the government would have given them a medal for it because they were killing converts to Christianity. We talked a little bit about one of the big lies of our society today. The problem is not religion. The problem is false religion. The problem is a religion that says it's okay to go out and murder other people. That can't be from the Bible. You want to know what the problem is with Islam? Is their religion, their God, is so small that if they don't go out and kill people who stand against Him, they fear that their God and their religion would be done away with. Now, what kind of religion is that? My God doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need me to protect Him. He does a good job all by himself. Amen. But that is what false religion does. He said the spirit in that meeting was different. He said those he said those men were there. They were serious about serving God. Their life was on the line every day. He said sometimes I feel like praying maybe that's what we need here in America to get us Christians awake and serving God again that's a fearful thought but we need to get serious about our relationship with God Paul told Timothy he said this this Ephesian church is full of believers that are afraid and rightly so The entire city had been set on uproar. They were the targets. And here is young Timothy. And Paul says, I besought thee to stay at Ephesus while I went into Macedonia. That happened in Acts chapter 20. I wanted us to get Acts chapter 19 so we know the history. No wonder Paul says, let no man despise thy youth. Timothy had a big job. Timothy was staying behind, though Paul had been there, and teaching in that church. And he said, listen, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. Now, here was what Paul said, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Now, doctrine is divisive. One of the line, it, it divides people. It gets people upset. Do you realize that there have been wars, literal wars fought over the issue of baptism? I mean, armies coming against armies and city-states and, and rising against others. There, there have been times during the Inquisition where the Catholic priest brings an entire army to a city. And this, this is amazing. He gave instructions to the captain of the armies. He said, this city is about half Anabaptist and half Catholic. He said, kill them all. God knows which one are his own. Now that is a religion of the devil, is it not? He says, Timothy, I want to charge you that you teach that there are some men in this church that want to teach other doctrines. Now, I want to just diatribe for a moment if you'll allow me to do this. But, and if you won't, you'll have to endure it anyway because I'm going to. We have done some things. I have done some things on purpose in our church. There... uh, As you read The Sword of the Lord, you're going to see a lot of great preachers in their sermons listed there. Um, But one of the things that I have striven to do from day one is keep us and our church away from this idea of worshiping men and following different preachers. You get out into certain groups, and I'm talking fundamental independent Baptists, there are... I like to call them Baptist popes because that's what they want to be. They want to be the father of your faith and they want to give you, uh, they want to tell you how to think and how to dress. And it used to be years ago, my wife and I have often joked about this, we could go into a preacher's meeting and watch a preacher walk into the pulpit. And before he'd finished his introduction, I could tell you what Bible college he'd been to because of the way he behaved, the way he dressed. If he had a dark blue suit, a red tie, and a white shirt, chances are he's from Tennessee Temple University. If he went all the way through his sermon, he had to be from Hiles Anderson College because Dr. Hiles had a pyloric valve uh, uh, dysfunction. And uh, after he was in the ministry about 40 years, he got that thing fixed. He actually had the surgery, but his preacher boys still went all the way through their messages. And uh, why? Because they were following the doctrines and the personalities of individuals. That's that's why we don't mention a lot of names. That's why I warn you: stay away. Uh, there there are many different preachers. I don't. If you see a book by uh, Dr. Jack Hiles, I don't recommend you buy it. It's not going to help you. You see a, a, a book by... Uh, oh, what's the guy's name? Um, there are actually two preachers with the name Bob Gray. Uh, neither one of them are, are worth following, honestly. The, these are men who have tried to get gatherings to themselves and follow themselves and make themselves. One of the reasons why we didn't allow the sword of the Lord in our church for years is because... Dr. Hudson, the previous editor, really promoted a lot of these personalities and things. Now, Dr. Smith, since he's taken over, has changed that completely. And that's one of the things I love about Dr. Smith and his work is we're not into worshiping men. Another name, Peter Ruckman. You see a book by Peter Ruckman? You don't need it. You say, I've never even heard of these people. Yeah, there's a reason why you haven't heard of these people. It's because we've never talked about them here. You don't need to follow another man. They all have unique, strange, little, quirky doctrines. And they're not wrong about everything. Please don't misunderstand me. You're not going to lose your salvation if you pick up Dr. Ruckman's book and read it. In fact, you probably won't even understand half of what you read and the other half. uh, He's got some really good stuff, but it's not worth wading through the problems to get there. It's the same thing with Dr. Hiles. Same thing with Jerry Falwell. Same thing with uh, Rick Warren and all these other people. He told Timothy, I want to charge you. I want you to be active in this church. And I want you to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. He said, I don't want anything taught, but what is Bible? And of course, everyone makes that claim. I've got several books on my shelf and... I tried to mark them and put them in places where people won't find them. Because there's some good things in those books, but I don't want somebody just grabbing the book off the shelf and reading it because he's got some really weird stuff in there. And I don't think it's that important that the members of our church understand the difference between dispensationalism and hyper-dispensationalism and hyper-Calvinism and Calvinism and... Uh, ultra lapsarianism and all these other things that are out there and we can give you theological terms from now until it's time to go home what it is important for you to do is understand what is true doctrine and if it is true doctrine guess what you don't need any preacher or pete montoro or anybody else it's right here amen You want a good commentary on the Bible? Read this one. This is the best commentary on the Bible there is. But when you start telling people to teach no other doctrine, guess what? You make people mad at you. You get people upset. Now, that's a tough job for a young preacher to handle. He said, Timothy, I want you to charge some. There's some people in this church that are teaching other doctrines. And I want you to charge them. Now, this idea of charging, uh, usually when we use the word charge, we think of two things. We think of the guy sounding the bugle, and we're going to charge. Uh, I hope you're not thinking about what goes on at the ball games. That's ridiculous. It has nothing to do with the word charge. Uh, most people, when they hear the word charge, think of Visa MasterCard. <laughs> and you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. You don't have to try hard to get yourself into trouble with Visa and MasterCard. Be careful. But this idea of charging is giving a command. It is reigning in. It is when when we if God ever allows us to ordain a pastor into the ministry. The most important thing that will go on in that meeting is the charge, is the preaching to that young preacher challenging him and demanding that there be certain activity going on in his life and other activity that should never go on in his life. Pastor Thompson, when he ordained Brother Lucas and I into the ministry, he said, it's printed on your paper, on your ordination certificate. You change your doctrine, you turn that paper in. He said, and if you don't have enough character, he said, I'll come get it. Now, how many believe that he would do that? If you know Brother Thompson, you know he wasn't kidding, Because this is serious stuff. And and we read on, and Paul gives a, a little help here. He says, listen, you've got to understand there's no other doctrine than what you already have. How many are familiar with the book of Galatians? Paul told him, he said, Listen, if an angel shows up and teaches you something different than you've already received, he said, If I come back and teach you something different, he said, Let them be accursed. He said, Consider us apostates, condemned to hell forever. That's what that word accursed means. Doctrine doesn't change. We got a group of preachers running around saying, I haven't changed my doctrine. I've just changed my methodology. Now, let me tell you something. If you think that putting a rock band on stage and playing Christian rock and roll music is just a change in methodology, uh, again, there's only two choices. One is you are so ignorant that you don't belong in the ministry. The other is, you are purposefully ignorant, which means you're a liar and a deceiver. And you don't belong in the ministry. Uh, You don't have very many good options when it comes to that kind of stuff. Because that is doctrine, the music we listen to. It is doctrine if we go out into the world and try to market the Lord Jesus Christ. It is doctrine if we take a survey of people and say, what do you want in a church? And say, we're going to build a church according to what you want. Those are doctrinal issues, my friend. And that's what's going on in churches. It's a doctrinal issue to change the name of our church to Open Door Ministries or some such generic title. There are churches that are doing it all the time. Well, the word Baptist is so offensive. Well, we didn't go out and ask for that name. It was given to us by the people who hated us. And the issue was baptism. The priest and his cronies could break into a meeting, and they did this innumerable times during the Inquisition. They'd say, you want to be baptized? They would tie the women up and drown them. We'll baptize you. And the men would be carted off and tortured to death. Yeah, I I want that name Baptist to be offensive. If it upset somebody, tough. And by the way, there's no name that doesn't have detractors. Bill Clinton, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton all claim to be Baptist. But as history has proven over and over again, they lied about a whole lot more than just being Baptist, now didn't they? There's a there's a history there. These things are doctrines. The version of the Bible you use is doctrine. All of these things, Paul says, listen, Timothy, don't teach any other doctrine. You don't need anything new. He said, but you're going to need to avoid, it says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now, you have to understand just a little bit of the history. This is about 65 A.D. when Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. The Ephesian church is probably not even three years old at this point. But in the earliest writings that we have that are extant to us, they call everybody church fathers. How many have ever heard of the church fathers, if you've studied history? Here's the qualifications of being a church father. Number one, you had to live... In ancient times. Number two, you had to write books. Number three, we have to have copies of what you wrote. That's all the the qualifications for being a church father. They call Origen a church father. There was probably no greater pervert, both morally, doctrinally, and in any way imaginable than Origen. He was a collector of perverted Bible text. You see, they did not have a standard copy of every book of the Bible. In fact, many of them hadn't even been written yet. And so, as Paul would write a letter to Timothy, such as we have right here in our Bible today... Somebody might get a copy of that, or a page or two out of it. They say, man, I don't like this. This doesn't agree with what our church... And they would alter the text many times purposefully. And we studied this and went over this in our study of the history of how we got the Bible. It is a miracle of God that we have a reliable text to our Bible, and yet you listen to most scholars and they'll tell you, That there's no such thing. Well, there is. And we have it. But there's many unreliable texts out there. And they were being written even at the same time before the Scripture was complete. But here's what they were doing. They were making up fables. How many of you have heard of... Oh, now I'm going to forget his name. He's the idiot that came up with the Da Vinci Code. Brown is his last name. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the movie and the book and all of these things. And how that the movie is going to rock Christianity and really challenge you to your core beliefs. There's not a big, bigger bunch of slop out there than you can imagine. The book that he quotes, and the problem is Mr. Brown does not even quote the book honestly. He just picks and chooses the pieces that he needs to put together his story. And you can actually go onto a website and talk into a microphone, and it will analyze your voice to see if you have the God gene that relates you to the children that were produced by Jesus and Mary Magdalene according to Mr. Brown's theology out of the book the epistle of Barnabas and the epistle of Thomas and some of these other pieces of garbage that were produced by false readers, writers, just a few years after the time that Paul was writing Timothy to teach no other doctrine. These are what fables are. Someone said, we don't know what the fables are, but they just must have existed. Maybe they were Gnostic fables. How many have ever heard of Gnostics? The Gnostics were people that said the word Gnostics comes from knowledge. They were a people that claimed to have special knowledge. But you had two divisions in the Gnostics. You had the one group said that the only way you can know the truth is by separating from the world. Everything that is in the world is evil. Therefore, you can't get married and you can't have children. You can't have any physical relations. You can't eat meat. You can't uh, uh, do this. You've got to live in a monastery all by yourself and and look at stone walls for 40 years. And then you're going to find truth. Now, the other form of the Gnostics, they were a little different. They said, listen, listen. What's on the inside is real. What's on the outside is unimportant. So, fornicate at will. Enjoy life. If you want to go out and understand what it is to be a drunk, you're going to have to become one first. And just go enjoy life. is a party. Have a great time. Now, how could you get such extremes in the same group? Oh, it's, it's very simple. It's the same God they worship, the devil. He's responsible for both extremes. They're both just as wrong. And Paul said, listen, don't give heed to fables. People are all the time making up stories. Trying to illustrate some biblical truth. If you think Mr. Brown is awful with his Da Vinci Code, some person who claimed to be a Christian... Wrote a story about finding the bones of Jesus in a tomb in Israel. Now, how can you get more blasphemous than that? And this person claimed to be a Christian. They were selling the book in CBD. That's why we want you to shop at the church bookstore instead of the garbage pits of the world. It says, don't give heed to fables. The Da Vinci Code's a bunch of fables. All of these things are, are, that you hear out there that contradict the Scripture are fables. How many remember the TV series, We Found the Bones of Jesus? Does anybody remember that? They ran a big thing, Easter Sunday. Why would they pick Easter to talk about the discovering the body of Jesus? Well, here was the problem. They found a... Oh, I can't remember what they called it. A little box of bones. And it was marked with the name Jesus, which was the New Testament of the equivalent of Joshua. Jesus was not the only person who had the name Jesus. Well, before they made the TV commentary, guess what they did? They waited 28 years after the discovery to make the TV commentary. Because they wanted to confuse people and pretend that this was somehow something new. And they even had some little preacher quoted. I'm sure he's going to find his place in hell someday because he doesn't believe in the God of the Bible. He says, if we found the actual bones of Jesus, it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect my faith in the least. Well, that's because you don't have faith in this book called the Bible, because the doctrine of this Bible demands the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if there's a resurrection, you're not going to find any bones. Amen? You just can't go there. You'll read through the epistles to the Thessalonians that someone wrote them a book and said, The resurrection's already passed, Jesus already come by, and you've missed out. These were fables. They were just made-up things. It's unbelievable how many things people will make up and call it religion. We had a Mooney show up. How many people know what a Mooney is? Sung Young Moon's followers. Trying to sell our church Sung Young Moon Sunday School material. Fortunately, I was up on a ladder somewhere and my wife answered the door. And she said, you better get out of here before a pastor finds you. Uh, I'll tell you what. You can't have a bigger nut than Sung Young Moon. I remember telling one of his followers one time, Sung Young Moon says he came to fix what Jesus failed at doing. I said, what could be more blasphemous and stupid than that? And he looked at me and said, but, but Sun Yung Moon didn't do it until after Jesus begged him the third time. I just looked at him and I said, get out of this building. And he looked at me. I said, you heard me. Now get out of here. Yeah, I, I think I did it that loud, maybe a little louder. I have no patience for those people. Fables. Endless genealogies. Now, here's how you know false doctrine, and we'll be done. Look what it says here. Which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Have you ever met anybody and all they have is questions? How do you know there's a God? Because the Bible says so. Um... Yeah, but how do you know the Bible's true? Because everything that is verifiable in this book has been verified. There are historical dates. There is information in this book that can be traced back historically and can be checked and can be uh, um, verified. And everything that this Bible talks about that can be checked and verified has been checked and is verifiable. This is God. But there's a lot of things we don't know. They're still trying to figure out who the Pharaoh of the Exodus was. They don't know. Some say, oh, it had to be Ramesses. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I think it was before the time of Ramesses. But you see, here's our problem. Is anything bad that happened in Egyptian history? The Egyptians just took out the history books. And if the Pharaoh that came after a Pharaoh that had a lot of problems didn't like what went on, he just went back and he erased every note Every monument, every engraving, every bit of history that was written down and recorded, it was all destroyed so that you never even knew these people existed. We have his, uh, archaeologists that have gone into Egypt and have through computerized and chemicals and things like this found inscriptions that had been, that had been covered, all, uh, covered over by pharaohs of pharaohs that were before him and them. The problem is not the Bible's history. The problem is the Egyptians' history of the Egyptians. But people have to ask all these questions. And you know what? We're not afraid of any question that you want to ask. You want to ask if there's a God? Hey, if you're honest, this book will prove to you beyond any shadow of a doubt that there is a God. If you want to honestly inquire about the history of the Bible and how we got it, you can be uh, satisfied beyond any shadow of doubt. The evidence supports this book, the Old King James Bible in the English language. You have God's Word. You don't have to worry about it. You want to know whether Jesus Christ did miracles or not? Read what the Bible says. The history... Is there? You say, but you just believe the Bible for the fact that the Bible says so. Well, let me ask you a question. One of the most incredible stories in the Bible is Jonah and the whale. Is it not? How Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale and, and all of these things. And yet, modern history from 1400s, the whaling ships and all of that gives us story after story of men who've fallen overboard, swallowed by the whale. In fact, one guy, uh, he was gone for, I can't remember how many days. It was a lot longer than three days. Uh, But he was trapped inside this whale, and as they captured the whale and brought it up to start butchering it, all of a sudden the stomach began moving on its own. They cut it open, and here was their sailor. A little worse for the wear, but he was still alive. And it had been like four or five days he had been trapped inside the belly of that whale. Now, that's an incredible story, is it not? And yet history verifies these things have happened. Why couldn't God have a whale or a great fish come along and just swallow Jonah? And by the way, they've had the same thing happen inside white sharks and other things like this. It's not commonplace. But it's not unheard of. The Bible tells us what is true. But if someone's all the time trying to figure out who the sons of God are in Genesis chapter 6. I heard a guy trying to explain hell several years ago. He said, if you've ever been to the bottom of the ocean, they discovered these tube worms. How many people know what that is? Uh, in the volcanic vents. And he claims that some of the souls of hell escaped and are there as tube worms six foot long on the bottom of the ocean. He says, I got scripture though. It says their worm shall cover them. No, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about, my friend. You got people that are just so full of... Nutsy, crazy things. Some guy said, All you have to do is say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I want you to save me, and that that's those words are like a magical formula that saves you. No, the Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Then the mouth makes confession unto salvation. It's not a formula. It's not a magical incantation. Leave that for the Buddhist, all right? Leave that for the other religions of this world. What the Bible says is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Amen. You'll find preachers that will say just about anything. He said, Timothy, I charge you that you teach no other doctrine. If all you're getting is questions, it's not Bible doctrine. If it, And we'll pick up here. I'm not finished yet with this point. But it says, listen, godly edifying is the goal. When God builds your life in the faith and you are more able to serve God than you were the day before, that is Bible doctrine. If it doesn't help you serve God, it's not Bible doctrine. We have people that go to extremes on all kinds of things. And I could give you a list and keep you here. I've already gone over our time tonight. But if it doesn't affect the way you serve God, then it's not Bible doctrine. Don't worry about it. Don't give heed to it. Don't spend time investigating it. There, there's a whole group of people says, we need to answer the Da Vinci Code. Let me tell you something, we don't need to answer the, the Da Vinci Code. We don't need to answer the evolutionist. We don't need to spend time trying to uh, debunk the world. What we need to do is find people whose hearts are tender toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And once they get saved, God will take care of all those other things. Remember, I picked up one more. I picked up a pamphlet years ago. It was from Ohio Right to Life. And it talked about this one woman being converted because she used to run an abortion clinic. And now she closed down the abortion clinic and she went around for Ohio Right to Life preaching against abortion. Now, let me tell you, nobody hates abortion more than I do. Abortion is an evil, evil thing. But you can be against abortion and still go to hell. You can be and believe the right things about life and still not make it to heaven, my friend. Because the trip to heaven is based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you tell me you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you believe abortion is okay, I'm going to question your salvation, I really am, because you got something wrong in your heart. Something seriously wrong in your heart. How can you love the God of life and want to murder the little babies? I don't understand that. It's foreign to Scripture. But, that pamphlet said she was converted because she gave up abortion. That's not conversion, my friend. Conversion is what happens when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Amen? Paul told Timothy, I want you to go through this church and I want you to find people who are teaching other doctrines and I want you to stop them. That's a pretty tall order for a young preacher, wasn't it? Especially after the riot and all the other things that had gone on in the city of Ephesus. Everything was in question. It was a, it was a very fearful time. But that's when we need... True doctrine the most. Without true doctrine, we do not have a church. Without true doctrine, we have nothing. It's all that God gave us. When you hear somebody saying, I don't make a big deal about doctrine, you mark them down. That person is probably unsaved. God always makes a big deal about doctrine. In fact, that's what these... uh, I think I have it in your notes here. 48 times. 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus. There's only 6 chapters in 1st Timothy, 4 chapters in 2nd Timothy, 3 chapters in Titus. So add it up. 48 times the word doctrine, learn, teach, preach, are used. That's an incredible amount of times in 13 chapters. And by the way, as I was looking through, that's where those words are used. There are dozens and dozens of other verses that clarify and deal with true doctrine. Almost every verse in these three books are about that very subject. If you want to serve Christ... You have to know the difference between true doctrine and false doctrine. Teach no other doctrine. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask now that You would minister to our hearts and lives. Help us to learn those things that will change the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray.